Okay, here we go. So this part of the campaign, I'm kind of excited about because this is a dungeon crawl. Now for me personally, when I play campaigns, I'm not as into dungeon crawls as I am when I'm a dungeon master because as a dungeon master, it's a lot easier to, to plan these things. Like, okay, they're going to have these encounters and they're going to, you know, usually hack and slash their way through them. Um, makes it easier for, for a dungeon master to run in a lot of ways. But I like the role playing a lot too. But I have a lot of players I feel that like the dungeon crawl thing a lot more. So this is a good balance. This is, this is a good balance. We're in a good place. They get to go and, and hack and slash away. So we're at the second two corridors. So they've done two already. They did two more. Um, it was broken into two week sessions, but I'm not going to split them up because I can't remember that much. <laughs> so we're going to recap them both at the same time. So the first corridor that they went into, um, which bless my players for recognizing that I wouldn't have to redraw the map um, if they went to the other side and did the eighth and seventh corridor um, rather than going one, two, three, like going all the way around, then I'd have to redraw the corridor almost every time. And the players are like, you know what, let's make this faster and, and just do it that way, which I, I super appreciate as a dungeon master. I think I have like the greatest group to play with in the world because like, you know, they, they're conscientious like that. And we just, I don't know, we just have a lot of fun. It's great. I love it. So anyway, um, they go to the other side and they open the door to the first corridor and Bear at this point is not about like jumping into these corridors anymore because last time he did like there, there was no magic and as a wizard he was not about that life so he definitely kept back this time and let the rest of the group go in and check it out and in this corridor there were wires crisscrossed everywhere and in between these wires were weaving some eels and the group was able to very quickly figure out don't touch the wires and try to hit the eels. Um, the wires turned out to be electrified. If they hit them, uh, they had to roll to see how many they bumped into or how many it was connected to that went off. Um, and I think, I think they sustained more damage from those stupid wires than from the actual eels that they were fighting um, because they had to make a dex check depending on how fast they moved. If they moved at half speed, um, they made it at advantage. If they moved regular speed, they made a straight dex check. And if they dashed, they made it at disadvantage. So, um, they, yeah, there was definitely some some checks going on there. Um, so they're, they're going through, they're attacking the eels. Bambi ends up falling unconscious. Um, Bear comes in and tries to help because Shime is trying to cast spells. And the other thing that they realized, when they're casting spells, they'd roll a d8. And based on what they rolled, the spell would either do nothing or cast at a lower level or cast at a higher level or do something crazy. And uh, so um, they, so um, I can't remember the details exactly. I think Shime was trying to get to Bambi or wasn't worried about Bambi was trying to fight the eels. I don't remember. Bear finally waded in and was like, 
I'm gonna, you know, I can heal. I'll, I'll do something. And when he went to heal or cast a spell, he, I think he healed Bambi, brought her up, and then went to Misty Step. And when he cast the spell, he rolled uh, that his magic went wild, which I was super excited about. I had been waiting for it the whole night. They kept rolling like they were upcasting, like it was helping the players a lot, which, which was fine. I was fine with that, but like I wanted to see more variety, you know, like, you know, whatever. But I got one. I got one moment of 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 that, the wild magic. So that made me feel better. Sorry, bear. <laughs> so he rolled wild magic. The ma magic went wild. He rolled on the wild magic table to see what happened. And <laughs> of all the things, it it was very ironic. He ended up turning into a sheep, and it was hilarious. So he's like in there as a sheep underwater, you know, not sure what's going on. And, um, and then the rest of the party was just kind of like, okay, bears a sheep now and kept on fighting through, um, because they were trying to get to the end of the corridor, fight through all the eels. Um, bear ended up going unconscious twice. Street ended up going unconscious. It was, I'm telling you, these wires were dumb. Like, it was it was a good DM mechanic, but yeah, I think it was frustrating my players a little bit. Um, they so they get to the end, and this is I think this is what took out Street was there was a giant electric eel at the end that had the key, and right off the bat it let out lightning breath and took you know a, some of the players took a lot of damage, but it, they also realized that it incinerated any of the wires that it hit. So uh, they took out the eel. Everyone was brought back to health. Stree um, did a lightning bolt all the way down the corridor so they didn't have to make all those checks on the way back and everyone was able to get out. And at this point, my first player used their boon, and it was Shimei. His boon was a ninth level spell of his choice. And the ninth level spell that he chose was some sort of mass cure wounds. I can't remember what it was now, but um, basically it instantly, everyone back up complete health, which was great because they hadn't been in there quite long enough to do a long rest and everyone was getting pretty low. <clears throat> and so he was able to bring everyone back up. It was, it was a cool moment. Um, and then the party was able to regroup and go to the next corridor, which was very familiar. They opened it and instead of seeing like a magma flow like they had last time, they saw an ice flow. And me being not as scientifically minded as some of my players, I'm like, oh, there's ice flowing on the ground. And they're like, well, we're underwater and ice floats. Wouldn't it be floating on the ceiling? And so one of the players was like, it's magic. Like, why are we arguing where ice floats when we're <laughs> underwater in a castle fighting monsters, um, which I thought was pretty funny. But I also like to think things like a little logical, like, you know, as much as they can be in D&D. So I'm like, sure, the ice is on the ceiling because it's not going to make that much of a difference in how it's played. And um, and I agreed with the logic. I just didn't think about it when I designed the dungeon. So, you know, that's what I get. Um, they fought through. There were some ice dwarves that every time they would hit, um, there was a chance that they would get cold damage. They had to make a constitution saving throw. There were ice methods that jumped out from 
the ice flow that was now on the ceiling. Um, and when they died, there was a burst of ice shards. Um, and then at the end, there was an ice golem. And it was kind of funny because they like had to basically wade through all these monsters. They get to the end and they had the big bad the ice golem. And I think it took a couple hits. Like it wasn't much um, for them to take out the the big ice monster. It was kind of funny. Um, I will say, me on mine, I felt bad. It was really frustrating for her because they they have disadvantage on their weapon underwater. So when they were wading through all these monsters, they were rolling at disadvantage. They had three attacks. And I swear, every turn they had, they rolled a natural 20 and something that would miss. And so, like, they're a barbarian. Like, their job is to hit things. And so it was, I, I could see them getting more and more frustrated that they weren't getting to hit things and they were rolling these natural 20s and they were going to waste and that really sucked. So yeah, that just, that sucked. I felt bad. Um, and then, oh, I almost forgot. Uh, Bambi, as she was like surrounded by these creatures, I don't know how she always ends up being the one surrounded, but it's usually her. I think because she's fastest and runs in farthest and then all the monsters swarm her and then everyone else comes in and a couple of the monsters will get past her and start attacking the other people. I think that's what it is. I'm definitely not like gunning for her. It was just that's just how it how it ends up turning out these past couple times. So she's surrounded, she's fighting through the monsters, um, misses on her swings, and she's like, Well, what else can I do? And I was like, Well, you have that dog in the necklace that you've had forever, like offhand. I wasn't like really thinking. Um, and she's like, Yeah, let's put him to play. And I was like, I was shocked. <laughs> I wasn't expecting her to actually do it, but I was really excited because this is this is a thing that hasn't like that she's had at her disposal that she hasn't really messed with at all. So I didn't even have the stats for it. Um, I and I asked if she had the stat card. I think I kept making to make a stat. I meant to make a stat card and never did. So that's on my list for the week. Um, anyway, but. Turns out it didn't need a stat card because when it came out of the necklace, um, Bear immediately turned it into a shark because it came out and it was holding its breath because it's underwater and it's a dog. So um, so it was using the shark stats instead, which was really cool. Um, and then Bambi was able to do more, kind of have, you know, like a bonus action attack kind of thing because she had her, her pet with her. Um, and when, when it first came out of the necklace, I had her roll a D100 um, because it had been in the necklace for a long time at this point. We're talking like weeks, if not months. And um, if she had rolled a nat one, like it was a D100. The chances of her rolling a one were like really slim. But if it had rolled a one, it probably would have come out dead. I was kind of making it up as I went, but it, it probably would have not been alive. I don't know. But she rolls a 94, and it was mostly rolling to see how how this dog felt about coming out of this necklace after being cooped up for so long. Uh, she rolled super high, so it was very happy to see her. Um, doesn't have super high intelligence anyway, so it, it made it tracked. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, the group um, 
finally finally got to the ice column. It was kind of funny because Street had like was working through getting you know like trying to keep up with the characters. Everyone was fighting. Like I said, the players got to the ice column and just like the ice column had like one turn and then they just completely destroyed it. Street comes around the corner, finally gets there and it dies. <laughs> I felt bad for her too. Uh, but they got the necklace and then they're like, okay, let's get out of here and take a long rest. We are so done. So for the first time since entering the underwater castle of Alantaris, the group is getting a long rest. They're getting their spell slots back, which I know the magic users are super excited about. Uh, and everyone's getting their health back. And we will see what happens next. I'm excited to see. Like, I know the encounters and I don't even know what's going to happen next. So should be fun. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you again soon.